Good morning. Um, morning, everyone at home on the live, live stream. Do you ever feel like a big fish in a small pond? Or do you sometimes feel like a little fish swimming against the tide? Does it seem that some people always get their way, the big fish, but others struggle with setback and opposition at every turn, the little fish? And for all we seem to work out why, there seems to be no rhyme nor reason. Good things happen to bad people and the reverse. Is life just the rule of the strong, the rule of the big fish? That's what we're going to think about a little in the context of the passage we read today. Now, if anyone was a big fish, it was Nebuchadnezzar II, Nebuchadnezzar the Great, king of kings, king, so he said, of the universe. He was king of the Babylonians around 600 BC. His kingdom stretched from shore to shore in the Middle East, including, we heard last week, he added to his father's possessions, in the bottom left there, Jerusalem, the ancient city of the people of God, the city that the Assyrians before him had spectacularly failed to take. Why? Because the living God himself had defended that city, but not this time. Now there's a new kid on the block, and he's coming in hot. How else to show the world that you've arrived than in verse 1? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. We don't use cubits anymore, um, but to give you a sense of scale, that's 15 atoms stood one <laughs> on top of the other. By my rough calculations, it's taller even than the point of the ceiling here. And it's all made of gold. He also has an audience in verse 2. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. If Nebuchadnezzar was king of kings, the kings he was king of are the satraps, and everything down are all the official positions in his empire. All of these people who have power and authority, and here they are, answering to him, coming and bowing to his statue. He is the big fish, and if they don't comply, there's always the fiery furnace in verse 6. Now let's pause for a moment there and think about that. Burning is no joke. Humanity has come up with some pretty painful ways of causing the end of another, and burning is pretty much up there. Imagine having so much power that all these people come to hear you, and you have the power to make them suffer that terrible punishment, just for di disagreeing. 
Nebuchadnezzar is a big fish. In stark contrast, we meet three little fish halfway through the passage today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in chapter 2, they had been made officials right in the heart of Babylon the capital. So they must have been there for that statue unveiling. In a moment, we will see how they literally stood up and refused to comply. But before we get there, let's notice one other thing on the way. How is it that these flagrant rebels against the king of kings come to his attention? It's there in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. They are such small fish that when they disobey the mighty king, no one important even notices. It's only later that their rivals come and point it out. So let's wind the bit back in our minds, to the night before the big ceremony, because they must have been nervous. What were they thinking as little fish? They would have been worried, what are we going to do? Do we stand? Do we bow? What do we do? Perhaps they spoke to some of their friends or their family, and they asked for their advice. Some of them might have said something like this. What's the harm? It's just a simple ceremony. Do the whole bowing thing, get it out of the way. Get it over with. But clearly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't see it that way. For them, they were not willing to worship this statue when the Lord had said in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, Out of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them. No, their conscience wouldn't allow it. God had said, you will not do it. But not only would this have been hugely insulting to God, bowing down to that image, saying that image is as good as you are, God. It would be a massive disservice to all the people around them. The satraps, prefects, governors, etc., 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 who didn't yet know God. Because they would have been saying, they might have thought, well, there's the Israelites. They claim to have this God. It can't be any good because there they are bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's God. Maybe they're not sure, just to be safe. 
their God doesn't even have a statue. We could spend a whole morning thinking about modern statues that the world expects us to bow down to. Christians draw the line in different places, and where they draw the line can be a bit political, so it's probably beyond the scope of an all-age service. But suffice it to say this, anything that says, yes, God is important, but this, this is more important, that is a golden statue. The first imaginary friends were wrong. This did matter. Perhaps other of their friends on the night before said this. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? This is King Nebuchadnezzar we're talking about. If he says jump, you say how high? In other words, isn't it arrogant of you not to take part? Isn't it arrogant of you not to bow to this statue? And perhaps this is the more common thing we face today. How can you say Jesus is the only way? Do you think you're better than us? But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not a case of who they think they are. It's a case of who they think God is. Events, of course, will prove them right in the end. And we'll get to that in a moment. The point is this, starting at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Look at what they aren't saying. They aren't saying, we've got this right and you've got this wrong. They aren't saying we're special and you're not. Still less, we're better people than you. No. Verse 17, the God we serve is special. He is able to deliver us. And so the three friends have refused the king's order. The king who is so big and these men who are so, so small. The moment comes. Not only will be, they be thrown into the furnace, but Nebuchadnezzar orders it to be raised in temperature seven times. So hot that the men who are ordered to throw them into the furnace perish on the outside, let alone the inside. But Nebuchadnezzar noticed something is not quite right. Not only have these men not been burnt to a crisp, but look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth 
looks like a son of the gods. Here it is. God's people stand in that burning furnace and they are unharmed. Unharmed. And with them stands a man who mysteriously has appeared and in Nebuchadnezzar's words has the appearance of a son of the gods. They are unharmed because the Lord stands with them. This is the lesson for little fish. Whether we swim against the tide of public opinion, friends at school or work, the law of the country, or anything else, Jesus stands with his people. And as the old saying goes, one plus Jesus is always a majority. But it's not just a nice little saying. When Jesus truly stood with his people at the place of the skull, when his arms were stretched wide and he died for the sin of you and me, the sin that was not his own, he was in a place of death like that furnace. And then when he came back on the third day and was raised and proved that death was not the end, Is there any enemy that cannot be stood against? Any tide left to swim against? Jesus stands with his people. So before we can come to a close, there is, however, a warning here too. And it's a warning for the big fish. It can be summarized in the words of the Jedi Master, Qui-Gon Jinn. There's always a bigger fish. Nebuchadnezzar started today as the biggest of fish, or so he thought, king of the universe and all that. But he ends today unable to carry out even the most basic of executions, which for a murderous dictator is probably at the bottom of the CV. When he carries out that execution, his enemies don't die, It's his cronies that end up um, perishing. Nebuchadnezzar had puffed himself up. And even if we don't feel like big fish in a small pond, how often do we want to be? We try to make ourselves look bigger, whether to impress people, to feel good about ourselves, or even out of fear like this balloon. Perhaps we gossip about people. We puff ourselves up a bit. We gather our money up in piles and piles with no regard for the needs of the world. We look down on someone because they don't share our background, our views, or maybe even our skills. We tell a lie about something we've done or something we didn't do and should have done. We use our position of influence or authority for our own own good and not those of those around us. 
heaven forbid, even in the church. We puff ourselves up and make ourselves look big. But it didn't work for Nebuchadnezzar. The alternative is that we look at Jesus, who had power and all the authority and all the riches of heaven. Let's quote Philippians 2. He deflated himself. He made himself nothing. Why? To rescue his people, just like in that furnace. If you are his, then, there is nothing to prove, no reason for us to puff ourselves up, even though we all do it, and every reason to trust him. And so as we close, here is the real challenge. When we read any passage, or any story, or any account, really, don't we immediately like to cast ourselves in the shoes of one of the characters? And we think, hmm, that's me. But none of us here is a real Nebuchadnezzar, unless there's an emperor that I haven't been introduced to. And very few, if any of us, have had to go through anything that is comparable to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. So who are we? My suggestion is that we are the great crowd of satraps, prefects, governors, all of those people who saw, who watched this happen. And they're given a choice that day and every day following. Do we continue swimming in the self-serving system of statues and power and puffing ourselves up? Or do we entrust ourselves to the God-man who stands with his people in the fire even Nebuchadnezzar sees it at the end of verse 29. The question is, do you?